Today, I ask you, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and uh, let us read from verses... Um, let's begin with verse 12, actually. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Thus ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Please bow your heads in prayer with me this morning. Almighty God, we, we pray that as you shine on us through your word this morning, that we may not come this morning, Lord, with minds that are lulled to sleep, but may we be aroused by your words, and may we be stir, stirred up, Lord, to uh, faith and good works, to your honor and your glory and your praise. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, this morning we come to the last in our series on devoted to God, or our series on sanctification. 
And it doesn't mean that there's not a lot more that couldn't be said about sanctification. There is. There's entire volumes, multi-volumes, that have been written on the topic. And so I hope that this has just sort of whet your appetite uh, for the work that God is doing in and through his people. Uh, and I hope you've been encouraged. And I hope that through this series, you've seen that from beginning to end, being a Christian and being holy are virtually synonymous. In other words, kids, they're the same, right? The Bible repeatedly refers to Christians as saints, right? As holy ones. All you have to do is pick up one of Paul's letters. And as you read through the letters, you see continually to the church at Rome, to the church at Corinth, to the church at Philippi, to the saints, to the saints, to the saints, to those that are holy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see here, even with that, that the Bible sort of contradicts what we see so much in our culture today, sort of this counterfeit Christianity that we see where people say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they fully expect to go to heaven, and yet there doesn't seem to be a change. They just live their life however they want to live, and yet they have this false security that one day they will see the Lord, and yet their lives sure to seem to exhibit that they really have no desire to see the Lord. They really are living for themselves. You see, the gospel calls us to a new and a transformed life in Christ. And, and not only that, but it makes it possible for us to resist being squeezed into the mold of the present age and conform to its patterns. Instead, we are transformed through the renewal of our minds as God does his work in and through us by his Holy Spirit. And yet, clearly, the, the New Testament doesn't mean that somehow we divide sanctification up. You know, somehow like it's like a 50-50 deal, right? Half God's, half ours, you know, and, you know, maybe then, you know, we'll, if we work together, we can sort of make this thing happen. Well, you know, God's actually bigger than us, so maybe 75-25, right? You know, doesn't that sound better? That's not at all what the Bible says. You know, it, it, rather, we are to work out our salvation in our lives 100%, uh, but we do that because the Spirit is working 100% in us to will and to work for his good pleasure, as Philippians 2 talks about. And so uh, we see here that, yes, the work of sanctification is um, a work that both the Spirit of God and, and the Christian do together, but it is 100%. And, and this, as we think about this this morning and as we've considered this topic of sanctification, we're really left with just one other question that I want to address this morning, and that's this. What is the Spirit's purpose as He works salvation in us and in our lives, and our goal as we work it out in our lives? As we, as we see that sense of which the Spirit is working in us, and as He is working in us, He is enabling us to, to live out that work that He is doing in us in our lives. To what end is this happening? Now, some of you may say, well, that's simple. He wants to transform us. But then my question is, transform us into what? Into what? Well, as we consider the effects of sanctification in the lives of believers this morning, I want to really consider two things, just two points to the sermon. First of all, to talk about the goal of sanctification in a believer's life, the goal of sanctification. And second of all, the role of sanctification in the believer's life. So the goal and the role. 
So let's look at those this morning. First of all, the goal of sanctification in a believer's life. Now, as we, as we think about this, as we consider this, we've already had hints to this answer of what God is doing in our lives. But Paul is just very clear in verse 29 in Romans 8. He says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. That's it. Christ-likeness. That's what he's doing in us. He's making us to be like Jesus Christ. And God means to do this, first of all, by taking us fully into his possession, and then by this progressive process of sanctification in which we become deconformed to this age. Okay, we, we sort of are putting off the things of, of this world, but we're instead being transformed or, or reconformed to the image of Jesus Christ, God's Son who came in the flesh. And that sort of paints the big picture of, of redemption. Now, I, I say that, that God sort of possesses us because our language oftentimes is much different. I have asked Jesus Christ into my heart. I have received Jesus. We think of it somehow as us possessing God, as somehow we've gotten God. But the reality is God has gotten a hold of us, and God is changing us, and he is making us like his son. And so, as I said, this explains the big picture of redemption, that we were created to be God's son, mirroring, in, uh, mirroring him in uh, sort of a miniature form. And we are restored to this by regeneration, by, by being made new creatures in Christ, and also by being adopted as his sons. And one day we will fully reflect the image of Jesus Christ, our older brother, as we are glorified. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that, brothers and sisters in Christ, that one day you will reflect Christ as you are glorified in heaven? What a glorious day that will be. I mean, we've been battling with sin and struggling, you know, to one day think that we will love perfectly. One day that all the words that we speak, and for someone like me, this is really very comforting because I'm not really great with words. Don't know why the Lord made me a preacher. But anyway, but one day every word that I speak will be, you know, perfect. You know, it would be like words of gold in a setting of silver. It'll just be perfect. You know, as Presbyterians, we'll, we're, we're glad to know that part of what this means to be made in Christ's likeness is that it involves knowledge and it involves understanding. Okay, because we like theology, right? We like to study the scriptures. And so we feel very comfortable in that realm. And it does involve those things. But ultimately, sanctification is not merely intellectual. It's not just what you know. It's not, you know, whether you can lay out the plan of salvation and, and uh, the golden chain of redemption, whether you can accurately uh, recite who God is or understand you know, the truths that God has given us in his word or knowing the way of everlasting life. But in many ways, sanctification is personal. It, it involves our person and our character. It doesn't merely mean knowing, but it also means becoming. It means a change in our heart. You see, Christianity is not just a, a bunch of rules and beliefs. And kids, I want you to hear that. 
Because I think sometimes, especially growing up in a Christian home, your parents are working so hard to teach you, you know, what the Christian faith is all about. And you can misunderstand what they're trying to do. And you can think, well, they're, I, I just got to keep these rules. I just got to do these things right. And, and if I do that, then, then, then I'm a good Christian. Well, you do need to know things. Yes, there are commands that God gives us. And these things are so important. But really, it is a life that is transformed as the Holy Spirit changes our thinking and our affections and our will. And we strive in conformity with those changes to live lives that are consistent with Christ's character. And so there's this Christ-likeness that the Holy Spirit is, is working in us as his people that we are to live out in our lives and that we see lived out in our lives. And hopefully it encourages us. But there's also a sense in which there's a family resemblance that takes place in what God is doing. When we're brought into Christ, the Spirit weaves Christ-likeness into each unique Christian life. Every one of you that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is working this, this, uh, this family resemblance, this likeness into each Christian. Even though every believer has his or her own personality, has his or her own character, the Spirit creates a family whose members share similar characteristics and instincts and dispositions. Christians all have the same approach to life, for the most part, the same kind of response to similar situations, the, the same love and admiration for growing in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though we're very different. And so there's this beautiful thing that we see going on in the church as God is working to sanctify us, to make us Christ-like, to give us this family resemblance, where there's this sense of unity, even amongst the diversity that we have, even amongst the different personalities and, and the, the different characters that we have and things. And, and sometimes, you know, in some churches, unfortunately, uh, there's not so much a focus on what God is doing to bring about that unity as much as there is a focus on the diversity, which causes division in the church. Um, but the Spirit of God is doing a wonderful thing. Well, Paul provides a, a wonderful example of this family likeness that sort of happens in believers' lives. So if you would, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And let me read, beginning with verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, while you're in Philippians 2, look down, if you would, to verse 20, okay? Paul then talks about Timothy and what Timothy is like in his ministry in the church. And I want you to listen carefully and compare that with the words I just spoke. Paul says, For I have no one like him 
who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest. Okay, but skip a little bit. And he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Does that sound familiar to what Paul just wrote in chapter 2, verses 3 through 8? Well, skip down a little um, bit farther to verse 25. And then Paul then talks about another fellow servant, Epaphroditus, okay? And he says, I have thought it was necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. Now skip down to middle of verse 30. Then he says, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, sort of notice this thread, this train of thought that goes through this passage. You know, Christ is exhibiting, Paul tells us in verses 3 through 8, sort of this self-forgetfulness, a, a real servant's heart, uh, considering others more important than himself. And now, you look at Timothy's life, and you look at Epaphroditus' life, and what do you see? You see the same thing. You see a selfless love for others, uh, Epaphroditus, even almost giving his life for the sake of the gospel to minister to the Apostle Paul. Now, no doubt, these brothers in Christ probably learned it from Paul. I mean, if, if you look at Philippians 2, verse 17, Paul talks about how he's being poured out, his life is being poured out as a drink offering to the Lord. And, and then in chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says, imitate me. You see, that's why these gospel writers could say, imitate me. It's not because they thought that they were so great and that in and of themselves, hey guys, you should be a leader like I am a leader. What they're really saying is, imitate me like I resemble the family. How I resemble my older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. As he is working in me, so resemble that as the Spirit of God works in you. And this is what sanctification looks like in flesh and blood terms. It always resembles Jesus. And this is the process the Spirit inaugurates at regeneration and will finally consummate in our glorification. But one of the things that we've been talking about on Wednesday night is giving thanks to God for the way that He is working in fellow believers and, and just sort of helping us as we're praying and as we're thinking about giving thanks to think about each one of you. There are people who are thinking about you this week and they are giving thanks to God for the work that he is doing in your life, that you are resembling the family um, because of his work in us. Well, I also want us to see that it's not only Christ-likeness and this family resemblance, but there's this ultimate destiny that God is preparing us for this final destiny in heaven. You see, everything that happens in the Christian life takes place under the sovereign superintendence of the Heavenly Father. I think most of us know that. I mean, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is, is carrying out his will through, his, through the life of his church. And thus, as we read in Romans 8, 28, everything works together for good. Now, what is that good? That he's speaking of well in verse 29 it is that conformity to christ 
It is being Christ-like, which is accomplished through, oftentimes through friction and affliction that God brings into our lives to transform our character to reflect the image of God as uh, perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ. Um, turn, if you would, with me over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. We see here, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, the, the Spirit is working in us to make us like the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And, and that's sort of the, the dividing line between Christian and non-Christian. I think today, unfortunately, too many people think the dividing line between Christian and non-Christian is, did I pray a prayer? And if I prayed a prayer and I asked Jesus Christ into my life, well, then I'm a Christian. But that's really not the dividing line. That's not really what shows whether we're a believer. But it's when the Spirit of God is is working in our hearts to make us like Jesus Christ. And you see that work being carried out. And there's, there's evidences that, that uh, God gives us that we can look for. We can look for fruit, like the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where it talks about love and peace and patience. And, and all that, we, we can see that in a person's life. Now, it may be stronger or more evident in one person's life than another person's life. But if we see the evidence of that fruit growing and maturing... You know, we can say, look, the Spirit of God is at is work of that person. Now, we can't see a person's heart completely, okay? I understand that. But we can't be fruit inspectors, and we can uh, consider the things, the outworkings of a person's life. Now, for the non-Christian, the future seems long, and, and uh, the past oftentimes seems short. But as they get older... Uh, that perspective begins to change, okay? Eventually, the past seems all too short as well, and the future also seems short, right, as we get closer to death. That's sort of what it's like for the unbeliever, but for the Christian, it's way different than that. You see, the Christian lives from the future into the past, okay? From the future into the past. Uh, for the Christian, he sees time in light, of eternity that's where our focus is to be upon eternity and where we're going not just upon now so we should not just be looking at our lives day by day you know to do list from to do list from to do list if we do then our focus is going to be very narrow and very downward focus but for the Christian we have the privilege to be looking to eternity to say what is God moving me towards what do I have in front of me? There's so much more to this life than just these years here upon this earth. When death comes, that's not the end. When death comes, I step into a new reality, a more real reality in, in one essence, where I get to spend eternity with God. And so, uh, therefore, as I view the afflictions and the trials that I go through, I look at them through the lenses that are tainted or tinted with the glory of God. And that's what Paul is talking about here when he says, with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, 
we're being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. So uh, as Christians, uh, we go through those afflictions and those trials, uh, not just because we have to pay our dues. You know, sometimes I, I hear Christians talk like that. Well, I'm a Christian. You just suffer. That's what Christians do. You know, life is hard and then you die. You know, I mean, that's almost what they make it sound like. And you think, really? I feel so sorry for you, you know. But, you know, that's oftentimes the way we view it, that we're just sort of paying our dues and that, that then later on we're going to get our reward and we'll get the glory. But that, that's not the process that he talks about. There's a purpose to our sufferings. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Paul says, for this light momentary afflictions is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see, all the struggles and the sufferings and the trials are in the Spirit's hands. And they are the raw material out of which he creates glory in us. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, think about that. You know, he is doing a mighty work of creating glory in us. So, so we learn to live our lives and the painful process of being made holy in light of the final glory that we will share with Christ. And, and that's where this whole process is, is heading. And, and knowing that helps us to understand why it can be such a, a painful process in terms of sanctification. I think oftentimes we think, well, sanctification is hard because God is doing very difficult things in our lives. He's taking us through hard times. And so, you know, God's making this hard. And, you know, it's just that's what Christians have to endure. Uh, but that's not quite the way it is. I mean, think about it. By nature, we are not very promising candidates for the production of glory, are we? <laughs> no. We are sinners, right? who are saved by grace. We are people who, even though we're children of the living God, still seek to rebel against him. And so we're not, there's not a lot here to work with, right? And so what God is doing is, is he is transforming us and he is making us new. I mean, think about it this way, maybe. You know, if you have a shoulder that pops out of its joint, that's going to be painful, but you could pop it back in. But if you have a broken arm, especially if it's terribly broken, that's going to be very painful to reset that. We're more like the broken arm than we are the arm that popped out of the socket as people, right? And so God is, is working in us. Um, um, and we are in the hands of a very determined Heavenly Father. And He knows that without holiness, we will not have capacity to see the Lord as we saw last week in Hebrews 12, 14. For only those who are like him will be able to see him as he is. And so, as we grasp this, it really sheds a lot of light upon our life as believers. So let me ask you some questions this morning. Is, is your life more rather than less challenging now than it was when you first became a Christian? Is it more challenging than less challenging now? 
Are you puzzled by what the Lord seems to be doing in the circumstances of your life? Do you face trials and experience afflictions, even forms maybe of persecution at times that, that you did not expect? Are you discovering more sin in your heart than you ever imagined since you have become a, since you have become a Christian? Well, if you answer yes to those questions, then you're being sanctified. All right, God is working in you. He, he is changing you. And, and this is a much bigger, much wider, much longer and deeper work than we first realized when we first became Christians. We had no idea what God was doing. We thought, he's just going to be taking me to heaven. And we were excited about that. But, but now we're seeing that he is working in us that, way, that weight of glory. And God is not interested just in sort of some short-term results, but a long-term, permanent, everlasting change in our lives. And, and God has promised that he would send his Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 23, but especially verse 23, Jesus says to his followers, he says this, he goes, my father and I are going to come and we're going to make our house with you. We're going to live with you. We're going to abide with you. And this is not a matter of sort of coming and living in you and rearranging the furniture or maybe building on a, an extension. It involved, we're talking about a major demolition process, right? We're going to just like really do a uh, major reconstruction. There's, there's much that needs to be put off, as to use Paul's language, or there needs to be much that needs to be put on in, in your life. And, and even to apply Paul's building metaphor in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, God is not using wood, hay, and stubble, right? But he is using refined metals. He's using precious stones to build this building to, to to make us into what he's called us to be he means his building to last for all eternity and he knows that only what is christ-like can survive in his presence now that's glorious brothers and sisters you know even as we go through the trials and the difficulties of life as we realize that christ is doing something magnificent in us where he is changing us uh, towards heaven. This perspective impacts everything, and it, it really provides a new focus. Things that once seemed important to us may begin to seem more trivial. Maybe we assess everything now in the context, you know, of will this make me happy? But really, God's calling us to assess things by asking the question, will this last forever? what I'm doing. Are these things of eternal significance or only of this world? Now, this doesn't mean that we demean the God-given rhythms of work and rest and the regular routine of our lives. I'm, I'm not saying that. You know, some people have uh, so focused on spiritual things to the point that they've gone off into a ditch. And Paul has had to deal with people like that and say, no, it's not all about asceticism, you know, as he talks about in the book of Colossians and, and other places, you know, but God's ultimate goal provides a standard by which we regulate our lives. That even as we're living in the mundane, ordinary things of life, that we do so in light of eternity. You see, nothing on earth is now seen as having, as being an end in and of itself. The end of everything we do becomes glorifying God. 
and in the knowledge that we will enjoy him both now and forever as we'll be with him in eternity. And so as we think about our suffering, we begin to realize that our suffering is not an obstacle to God's purpose. That's sometimes what we hear in the prosperity gospel, right? You have to overcome those obstacles, those sufferings, those negative thoughts in your life because those things are contrary to God. But that's not true. What we see now is that actually suffering is a means to achieving God's purpose in our lives and so we need to ask ourselves individually, as households, as a church, are we spending the resources God has given us on what will last for just a day and then be gone? Or are we living our lives in light of eternity? We need to ask, will what I have, or even what we have as a church, what, what we're doing, will that enhance our likeness to Jesus Christ? Or maybe will that hinder it? So the goal of sanctification. Now, just very quickly, the role of sanctification in the life of a believer. And what I want to do is really sort of reiterate what I've already said to some degree, but to maybe just drive it home a little bit more, just to look at the believer's imitation of Christ's example and our participation in the sufferings of Christ. Okay, first of all, our imitation. The Spirit transforms us into the likeness of Jesus, but he does this in us, uh, but he also does it through us. We work out what the Spirit works in us, okay? This, this includes his ministry of stimulating in us a desire to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to ask you this morning, is that a desire that you have? Is that a priority that you have in your life to be like Jesus Christ? Is that something that you're really praying for God to do in your life? Or are you just sort of living your Christian life and sort of going along? Or are you saying, Lord, make me like your son. I want to be like my older brother. You know, change me. Do whatever is necessary. Set that broken arm, Lord. Be, show your glory in me. Jesus taught his first disciples to imitate him. You know, having washed their feet, he exhorts them to do the same in John 13. And, and the role of the Spirit now is to stimulate us to desire to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ and to become humble-minded like he is. You know, like today, the church and the Bible, they struggle with disagreements between believers. Um, I mean, just think about it. Its members had come from all kinds of different backgrounds. You had Jews, you had Gentiles, you know, you had people from different regions. And as a result, their consciences reacted differently to different issues. Like, for example, what foods to eat or what special days to observe. You know, and, and it did seem like, a lot like today, that all the parties involved felt like they were in the right and the other person was in the wrong, right? And so there was this conflict, there was this, this tension, and more than once the fellowship of the church was in danger of being fragmented, of, of being torn apart. You see, when Christians are, are at loggerheads and, and the unity of the church is threatened, how are we to act in a way that is spirit-led and genuinely sanctified? Well, look at Romans chapter 15, if you would. Romans 15, 1 
through three. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, we oftentimes read that and we're like, oh yeah, the weaker brother. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, Pastor Rick. I, I need to be sensitive to the weaker brother, okay? So go on, he says, but let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. You see, Jesus is that litmus test for our attitudes. He didn't, Jesus didn't please himself, and so we must not act simply to please ourselves either, or to push our agendas, or to try to get our own ways. Kids, uh, you may be here today, especially if you're older, okay? Those of you that were in your Sunday school classes and you were the older kids in your Sunday school class, uh, you may have heard the stories of Jesus' life, and you just started to get bored with it. You thought, okay, I've heard these stories like 20 times, you know, because I was the younger kid in the class and I heard it all these years and now I'm the oldest kid and, and so I'm sort of bored with hearing about the life of Jesus. But I want to encourage you maybe to think of it a different way if you could. Rather than just saying, do I know the stories about Jesus? Ask yourself this, does my life look like Jesus's life and the stories that I've read? Do I imitate Christ? Do I act like Jesus did? Am I praying for the Holy Spirit to make me like Jesus? You know, I saw Jesus who was beaten and whipped by those who did not like him, and yet he showed them love. When my brothers and sisters irritate me and take my things do I show that same kind of love to them? Or do I go, they shouldn't do that to me. You should give me my stuff back. God is working in us to imitate Christ. But also in his participation. As we imitate Christ, it's, it's accompanied by our participation in Christ. And we've already seen in previous passage that we participate in Christ's death and in his resurrection and uh, we've been raised to new life and in christ but the new testament also speaks of our participation with christ not only inwardly and spiritually in christ's death and resurrection but also in sharing in his sufferings in order that we might share in his glory look back at romans chapter 8 uh, verses 16 and 17 paul says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, let me explain this a little bit further. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 4. He says, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of glory. Now, I, I sort of covered this passage in an earlier sermon, but I want you here again to point out that Paul is not saying that I am weak in myself, but I am strong in Christ. But notice what he says, for we also are weak in him. That is, 
in Christ. Okay? Now, what does that mean? Well, union with Christ means that we come to participate not only in Christ's death, but in his weakness. And this weakness is not something from which union with Christ delivers us, but in, in which union with Christ brings us to. As we are in union with Christ, we are made to go through his weakness. We are weakened. Union with Christ doesn't protect us from suffering, but commits us to suffering. Because of the closeness of our fellowship with the Lord, we find ourselves sharing in the weakness and the sufferings and the persecutions and the trials and the shame of the Lord Jesus Christ, like Christ himself experienced. Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Philippians 3, verse 8. Paul says, I'll jump in just a little bit in the middle of the verse. He said, for his sake... I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, why did he do all that? Why did he have faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why did he give up all things and count everything but rubbish? He said, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And what else? I wish this was Sunday school so I could call on somebody. So, and may share in his sufferings. You see, that's who we are as Christians. That we will go through sufferings. The whole of the Christian life is born out of the womb of our union with Christ in his death and resurrection and his sufferings but also his glory as well. And so this is the DNA of the child of God who's being transformed into the likeness of the older brother, that I am weak in Christ. And so I share in his sufferings, I share in his persecution, I share in his trials, but I also am strong in Christ in the sense that I overcome sin and I'm faithful in trials and I grow in grace through suffering. And so God sanctifies us to make us imitators of Jesus, participating in his sufferings. Now, one of the things that I identified early on in my Christian life is that uh, I'm a wimp, okay? Uh, that's not a spiritual gift. That's just a reality, a fact of life. But uh, I sort of grew up in the 70s, and uh, which, you know, that, that's a challenge in and of itself. But um, anyway, but they had all these uh, end-time movies in the Christian world, very poorly done. You know, if you want to suffer for Jesus, you need to watch one of those films. But anyway, you know, they, they had, you know, all the end times, the Antichrist, you know, people dying for their faith. And so, you know, I grew up in youth groups where we'd watch those movies and you wouldn't sleep for days and all that kind of stuff. And anyway, I, I just remember seeing those movies and thinking, I don't, I'm not so confident I would stand firm if I faced persecution. And that scared me. And so I began to pray, even as a young person, Lord, if I have to die by persecution, would you cause me to stand firm? And as I got older and I got married, then I prayed that for not only myself, but for my family, prayed that for my church. I actually pray for that for you guys. 
that if the days come of persecution upon the American church, that you all will stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. The difference between my prayers now and my prayers then is I don't fear anymore. I don't fear. Because I know it's not up to me, but it's Christ's work in me. And that he who began that work will complete it. I also know that it is God's will to sanctify his people. And as our benediction has been the last number of weeks, I hope you guys have this phrase embedded in your mind, he will do it, right? He will do it. And so we have that confidence. And so this morning as we close out this series uh, on sanctification, I really want to close by just leaving you some words of comfort. So turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is actually where we started out our series in 1 Peter. And I just want to read the chapter to you. And I want you to just meditate on this and just to see what God is doing in your life. I want you to see the realities that are happening in your life if you are his child. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then uh, skip down, if you would, to verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the re revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. 
Love one another earnestly from the pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, how can we praise you enough for the wonderful work that you are doing in us and through us, God, to make us like our older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, may you continue to work in us. Lord, I, I pray for our, our young people, for our kids, that they will grow up with an anticipation of what you are doing in them. Lord, help the parents here today to convey to their kids uh, to look to Christ and to pray expectantly that you are doing a work in them. And Lord, as we pray for one another, as we rejoice in the work that you are doing in one another, uh, Lord, let our hearts be encouraged. Lord, may it stir us to worship you and to praise you that you, uh, even in our body, which is is as imperfect as it is, uh, we are seeing the family resemblance. We're seeing your work in our midst, and we rejoice and we praise you in that. But God, we pray that you would also make us a lighthouse in the community, that people would see Jesus, not only in the midst of Kirk of the Plains, but Lord, all the churches in Andover and the surrounding areas. Oh, God, may you bring in souls to yourself. Oh, God, may you save those who are now lost, that they may know the joy that we have as your children. Oh, praise you, God. And we just thank you so much for the sureness that is of the hope that we have. We pray in your name. Amen. <clears throat>